Blog Talk Radio. Radio show. I'm JB joining you along on this Sunday evening. Uh, EJ is off this Sunday and uh, Ryan is buried in the book, so it'll be me flying solo, but I got a great guest coming up. And uh, glad to have each and every one of you along on the ride today and especially excited because this is the last free spring training edition of the Happy Recap Radio show. And it feels good to know that there'll be pitchers and catchers reporting here right away. And uh, sooner than we know it, there'll be actual spring training games, and that means opening day is just weeks away. And uh, we're going to have a lot of great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. A lot of them will be joining us from Port St. Lucie. And one guy that's going to be heading down to Port St. Lucie in the next couple of days is our good friend, perhaps the oldest friend that we have here at the Pappy Recap, our good friend Matthew Cerrone from Mets Blog. Far too long, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. How, how How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, it's always that it's that lull after that uh, rather significant yeah. uh, football game last week, and we hit that pitchers and catchers report. I'm feeling it right now. I need me some spring training. Well, you know, I'm talking to you right now from my car because I'm taking a break between uh, moments of shoveling my driveway, um, which I did yesterday, and probably have to do the minute before I leave and get on the flight for Ford on Wednesday. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 with you. The uh, the sooner it comes, the the warm weather and the the crack of the bat and all that, I'm uh, the happier I am. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you, it's it's you know it's been it's been a winter. Uh, the Mets certainly have had a winter, and I don't think uh, looking at it that it was necessarily it was some of the things I think we hoped for, but not exactly what we expected. Uh, starting off with just really a weird market overall throughout baseball. They kind of um, threw everyone for a loop. Uh, a lot of people complained that the Mets didn't make a lot of moves. Certainly, I think they re-signed who they needed to re-sign, but uh, the preponderance of trades and free agent signings just weren't there this year. No, you know, and it's interesting because there was a lot of chatter. I mean, that is that is real. I mean, I, I realize from the outside looking in, you see a lot of reports and rumors, and when nothing happens, it, it's easy to just assume it was all uh, BS, but conversations were being had, not just with the Mets, but other organizations and teams talking. And, you know, I think the, the, the wild card, so to speak, was the, was the collective bargaining agreement and sort of the, you know, the unknown that that presented earlier in the off season. I think teams were a little reluctant to make moves until they sort of knew what the landscape was going to be. And then once that was ironed out, uh, you know, uh, as anybody, you know, in the game will tell you, it's it sort of, drew a line between teams that are going to go for it and teams that are not. And, you know, there's really no benefit to playing the middle. So I think that pulled a lot of teams that were maybe up for making trades. The Pirates talking about Andrew McCutcheon, um, you know, the Royals and some of the guys they had, some of the the deals that the Tigers left on the table. Um, You know, I I think it, it ultimately came down to, well, you know, let's just stand pat. Maybe we could do something over the trade deadline. Uh, the market is a little bit easier to gauge and kind of manipulate uh, during the season. And, you know, let's kind of understand the rules and understand what, what we're working with. And, and I think that kind of hit pause a little bit on some of these moves. I, I have a feeling, and Ken Rosenthal wrote this with FoxSports.com, 
that the trade deadline is probably going to be pretty crazy this year because I think there's a lot of players like McCutcheon, Lorenzo Cain, Dave Robertson, these kind of guys that probably should have been moved and were talked about like they were going to be moved, but then weren't, who I think actually will be in play uh, come July, including Jay Bruce. And that was going to be my next question. I mean, I think a lot of Met fans, I get it because I see the market. I saw how it was developing, and I kind of figured from an early on stage that this is going to be tougher than I think a lot of people thought it was. Uh, Here we are heading into spring training with Jay Bruce, the presumed everyday right fielder for this team, um, which is a surprise to many, many fans. Uh, But he certainly seems he still has value as a a trade asset at the deadline. Right. And, you know, look, they, uh, you know, I've written this a bunch of times. A lot of people have said the same thing. I mean, the Mets really bungled, uh, you know, how they handled this from the outset. But I think part of that was because they thought there was going to be a little bit more or or a little less demand or a little less supply, I should say, uh, in the the, uh, corner outfield power department in the marketplace. And they obviously misread how that was going to break. Um, You know, I I don't think that was just the mess. You you see there's still, you know, just until recently, a lot of free agents that were still available. Um, You know, I just think they kind of misread how things were going to shake. And so they were left in a position – the way it was explained to me by someone with the team, which was like, you know, look, we could trade him for nothing now, or we could trade him for nothing in April or May. You know, obviously we would trade him for nothing in April and May because you never know what's going to happen between now and then. Like if, if we're talking about, you know, worst case, not worst case, scenario, but if you're talking about, you know, trading them and basically, you know, paying the contract and just, you know, getting them out the door and get something back of very little value, you may as well do that later. Because what if Cespedes gets hurt or Granderson gets hurt or Conforto starts in a slump again or Lagares hurts himself or what if a lot of those, what if more than one of those things happens at one time, then you're going to be glad you had Bruce. At the same time, the Mets are doing well and guys are hitting and, and Bruce is sort of out of place and there's an injury on another team. You know, there may be all kinds of scenarios that at the very least increases value a little bit more than it is now. And so it makes complete sense to, to hold off, but, um, you know, it, it's no denying the fact that I think they had higher hopes when, when the offseason started and they're kind of left in a position here where, you know, they're settling. Well, I think you have, you know, you have a great example of the trade that went down today with the Atlanta Braves after they lose Sean Rodriguez right. for three to five months after a freak car accident, uh, going out and picking up Brandon Phillips for pennies on the dollar, let's be honest, uh, with the Reds picking up most of his salary and them just getting a few minor prospects in return. Um Brandon Phillips actually saying okay to a trade has still got me flabbergasted. But uh, the uh, the reality of it is there's going to be situations like that. And, you know, not all of them are going to be rebuilding teams like the Braves who aren't willing to give up anything. There may be a contender who loses a player. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. And if you've got Jay Bruce on your on your roster and you with the depth you have behind him, it's real easy to shed that payroll if you need to and move him along for somebody else. Right, and don't forget, I mean, they had all those conversations, right? That can't, that's the thing that I think a lot of people forget, and that is not, it's not lost. You know, they had those conversations with the Orioles. They did that scouting. They had those conversations with the Blue Jays and did all that scouting, the Rangers. You know, all those teams they talked with, and they put in the legwork, and they know each other's systems, and, and there is, you know, the makings for, if need be, probably a pretty easy deal that can be had. And so, you know, that, that set they'll move forward. If Bruce is, is expendable, like I said, in April and May or a team suddenly needs them, you know, they're, they're going to talk. There's no, no question. 
uh, about it. And so, you know, I think that's kind of what I think we're going to hear a lot about. This. It's going to be a little awkward in April, awkward, awkward in May, you know, or I'm sorry, in March and in February during spring training. It's going to be a little weird, um, you know, but uh, I think that's kind of the position they're in with him at this point. I think uh, for me, when the, with looking to spring training and getting into the, the team as, as it's uh, progressing, uh, you know, the big question for me, obviously, is uh, when is MLB going to come down with its final findings on our closer? And what is that going to mean for the uh, opening day roster as far as the bullpen is concerned? Obviously, Addison Reed seems to slip nicely into that ninth inning role for as long as the suspension may be. Uh, Salas being back uh, certainly is, is great. Uh, Blevins and uh, Salas and Blevins are two uh, great examples of Sandy playing the market absolutely 100% correctly, um, as opposed to, you know, you know, the Jay Bruce not going the way he wanted it to. But how do you, looking at this bullpen and how they solidified it ostensibly by bringing back who they had, how do you feel about it going into the off, uh, into the season, especially knowing we'll probably be down, my guess is 30 days at least without uh, our closer. So to answer the first question, I, I, I feel like they're one heavy play, you know, one heavy hitter short in terms of the bullpen. I'd, I'd like to see, you know, and this, this is probably every, every fan base feels this way about their team's bullpen, but I, I mean, I just feel like they need that other guy out there, that, that other guy that's, that has been around the block. He's, you know, pitched in high leverage situations like Sandy was looking for, you know, uh, I don't know who that is, whether it's Robertson or Vizcaino from the Braves, you know, those, that kind of a player. I would like to have seen them make some kind of a trade or do something to get a little bit more of someone, just someone else in the mix. Um, I feel like it's kind of what they're missing. But short of that, uh, I feel like they're okay. And especially if Familia is rested and pitching well and, and back. I mean, my hunch, like you said, I mean, I, you know, I keep hearing it'll be at least 30 days. Um, probably similar to the Chapman uh, suspension. So, you know, you figure he's back, I don't know, late, late May, sometime in, in late May, early May, or, or somewhere mid-late May, somewhere around there. By the time he gets back, amps up the program, you know, goes through an assignment, comes back. Um, you know, they're not going to know probably until the end of spring training, my understanding. Um, I think uh, the commissioner had said that's a Newsday. Uh, that, you know, they're hoping by opening day. I heard that they wouldn't have anything by pitchers or catchers, so obviously that, that, that's come to fruition. So somewhere, obviously, in here they're going to find out. Um, but I think they've been operating as though Familia will be suspended for some period of time. I think Reed is completely fine pitching in that closer spot. Um, you know, I, I like Robles. I think he had a really nice season last year. I think he's got more in the tank and can do more. Uh, I love bringing back Blevins. You know, I think uh, Edgen, Smoker, that combination, and, and you can't shy away from Gazelman, Lugo, and, and what Wheeler can give you out of the pen, specifically Gazelman and Lugo. Lugo in particular, because I think his game, as a scout had mentioned to me, that you know if he really if he commits himself to being a reliever, he has that sort of Keith Folk kind of potential, that kind of a pitcher, uh, that type of closer, uh, not the big strikeout guy, but someone who can induce double plays and get pop-ups and kind of clear the bases pretty quickly. Um, you know, if he would sort of harness that curveball and, and uh, you know, fastball curveball kind of combination and just kind of go with being a reliever, you know, he has that potential. But they've got, so they've got arms and they've got guys out there that they can, I think they can mix and match and, and have some options. But come summer, my hunch is that they will make a deal to get a reliever because that guy is just, 
he's just not there. And if you can have Familia strong, rested, uh, you know, you know, in June, July, and then you can make a deal with your farm system and you can bring someone in that's maybe not pitched a lot of innings that has some experience. You know, I think at that point with the starting rotation, they've got a really good pitching staff. Well, let's talk about, obviously the starting rotation is always the talk of the town, so to speak with, with the Mets. Uh, uh, You have the potential of the big five all being in the rotation on opening day. Um, I, th- I think there are some of us that question, would that day ever actually, um, on, you know, obviously pitchers have injuries um, and uh, knock on wood, Noah Syndergaard not being one of them. But uh, talk about what your expectations are. I mean, you know, especially on the upper edge of that rotation. But uh, you know, we, we've uh, taken uh, Bartolo out of the mix. Um, and again, with the contract he was offered, I can't blame them for letting him walk. But uh Talk about your expectations for the rotation and what you kind of hope to see, especially from those coming back from injuries. Well, that's what it comes down to, right? It's about the, the health and about their arms and how they come back from these, these surgeries and whatnot. And, and we're not going to know that until we see them in spring training, throwing every five days and some sort of a rhythm without any interruption. You know, that'll be towards the end, probably the middle of March. Uh, and that'll be the point where confidence builds, expectations become real, you know, right now, we all know what we expect. We expect them to be awesome and dominant because they have that potential and we know that. Uh, the question is, can they remain healthy? Can they all be there at the same time? It's never happened. So, you know, that's the real, that's the real issue. And, and it's, it's kind of a moot point talking about it until we see them on the mound. You know, the fact is, you're right. Cologne was the guy that really kind of held down the fort last year. He's gone. I think that is okay as long as, you know, they can – Put these, put these guys together in, in succession. Uh, you know, again, Gazelman, Lugo, Wheeler, you know, that helps. Um, I think it's about the four, DeGrom, Harvey, uh, Syndergaard, and Max. And then some combination of those other three throughout the course of the year, uh, you know, juggling between Vegas, the bullpen, and the rotation, and kind of spacing guys out, um, you know, saving innings, using different roles and, and, you know, hopefully by the stretch run, you, you, you know, you've done enough, uh, you know, to string along enough starts and enough uh, realized potential that, you know, they do what they're supposed to do. And so, I, you know, to me, uh, like I said, I think it's just about seeing them out there. You know, we haven't seen them outside of photo ops. We haven't seen them all in the same place at the same time pretty much forever, it seems like. So, you know, I want to see that happen and then and then really believe it. But, I mean, right now on paper, hey, it looks great. It's awesome. Well, you know, of course, this is the time of year going into spring training where everybody claims to be in the best shape they've ever been in. Let's talk about our third baseman. Uh, obviously, that is a huge question mark. Everybody wants good things for David Wright. Everybody wants to root for David Wright. We love David Wright. Uh, but, obviously, his durability at third base is, is, an, is one of the Mets – few real legitimate question marks going into 2018 what's kind of your take on where where you think the Mets are as far as how much how much um how how far are they willing to go before they say that maybe maybe Wright is not an everyday guy anymore which would you know I think kill most of us Mets fans Uh, what are they looking to see to show that David Wright is still David Wright well that's the worst case scenario from a front office point of view and, and a fan point of view and probably from Wright's point of view. Oh, yes. He can suit up and he can go out there, but he's just not performing. 
And, you know, that if that goes on for months, it's going to be awkward and difficult and something that nobody wants. Now, Wright was, was, was smart enough, I think, to structure his contract in a way that it starts to go down in value each year. So it's going to be less painful if they have to have that conversation. It's not going to be as difficult if they need to pull the, the trigger on their own. Um, I think the more realistic scenario, and this is kind of what I'm afraid is going to happen, I just because it's just my hunch, uh, despite David's confidence and optimism, and, and, you know, he's a professional ball player, so of course he thinks he's going to go back out there and, and play 150 games and do great. He's supposed to. That's how it works. But my hunch is that it's going to be a very on and off, back and forth, up and down kind of a, a, a trek here. I think it's going to be, you know, three days, and then he needs a couple of days off, and then he comes back, and something's tweaked, and so he needs another day or two, and then he comes back and plays three or four, and then he's off for five, and then he's back to three. And it's just going to be this teeter-totter all season where, you know, by June we're saying, well, how come he's just not on the disabled list? Like, we should have just put him on the DL. Why are they carrying him on the roster? And then, you know, he's going to have a hot weekend, and then it's okay, play right, and then he's something else. Like, it's just – I just think it's going to be that all year. And – that is where things get a little tricky because everyone's going to have a different opinion. He's going to feel like he should be playing. Terry's going to feel obligated to play him. You're going to have Reyes, Wilmer, Cabrera, Walker, other guys that can play third base. And I just think it's going to be a little sticky. And that's my hunch. That's how I see things playing out. I think it's, it's the more realistic scenario, more realistic than he goes out and he's a world beater and more realistic than he retires in May. I think that's sort of in between is, is what we've got. Now, the Mets did the right thing in the way they're handling it, right? You, he, first of all, he's not a first baseman. He's got low back issues, spinal issues. First base is not where you go if that's the case. It, it, it's, it's harder to play. So that's not going to be the answer. He's never played outfield, not going to make that switch, and that, that's really it, right? So position switch is not, at least not the short-term answer. Uh, the short-term answer is he's our captain. He's earned the right to, to, at least through spring training, show us what he's got. But we bring in enough players, we have enough guys on the roster who can play multiple positions. Like I mentioned, Flores, Reyes, they can play third, they can play short, they can play second, Lumber can play first. So if Wright can't go, you know, you've got options. You can, you can do things. And, and Sandy's task, his challenge to Terry was, I want Reyes playing every day. He's got to be in the lineup every day. So there's going to be op- opportunities, you know, and, and TT is going to be up to him to kind of juggle this around and make this work. And so, you know, that's the silver lining, which is that if Wright's not performing well or he needs days off, they do have options. They've set themselves up in a way that I think they'll be able to make, make it work. All right. If you're a gambling man, 2018 rolls around. Opening day third baseman is who? Oof. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, I, I, you know, I, I, I would be hard. It's hard to, uh, it's either right or it's someone that's not on the roster. I don't think, I don't think they give it to Reyes full time. And I don't think they have the person in the organization. Um, I would say, say David or somebody else. That's, I, I think that's kind of where I'm thinking. Uh, before we change gears, uh, you know, as far as you know, talking about people in the organization and coming into spring training, I know a lot of eyes are going to be on two youngsters uh, playing uh, some big league games here over the next couple of weeks that are most likely earmarked for AAA, certainly not the big league roster, and Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith. 
yes. definitely after the past couple of years they've had the minor leagues very much looking forward to seeing them. What's your take on, I know you've had some exposure to them so far. What's your take on both those guys? And, you know, is the hype real? Is this our first baseman and shortstop of the future in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I've seen Rosario play. Dom, I haven't seen play in per- I've seen him take BP and, and field at first base and, and drills and stuff, but I, I haven't seen him play a game. Uh, Rosario, I've seen play. He is special. Rosario, let's start with him. I mean, he is, look, you've seen the li- where he is on these lists. He's number three prospect in the country in some of these, these poll, you know, some of these, these um, top 10, top, top 100s. He's the real deal. And he's not just physically talented, he's emotionally aware, he's smart, uh, he gets. You know, he understands sort of the market he's going to be in. He, he understands Mets fans. He's, you know, he's just a, he's got a big smile. He reminds me of, uh, he reminds me of Reyes when, when Jose was coming up, um, just very electric, big personality. Um, you notice him in the room. All the big league players gravitate tor- towards him. They take to him. Um, you know, he just has that effect. And, you know, I think he's going to be special when he comes up. Uh, I think he's the first guy uh, since probably Jose and since David uh, to sort of have that uh, national kind of, um, you know, the capture sort of a national attention uh, coming up as a, as a Mets prospect. Um, you know, so I, th- I think he's, plus he plays shortstop, which, you know, you can't, you can't beat that. So uh, he, he, I think is going to be awesome. Dom, I think is a little bit different, big kid, very smart, very intelligent, very laid back, easygoing, peaceful kind of guy, uh, but super intelligent. Um, doesn't, you know, he, he kind of, you look at him and you think, oh, this guy's going to be, you know, a 30, 40 home run hitter, but I don't think he is. He's more gap to the gap. I actually heard he profiles kind of like a John Olerud kind of a player, and that's not who you would think of when you see him, but, you know, pick it in the field, incredibly smooth, you know, leans, goes out, gets the ball, don't even know what happened, where did it go, oh, he's got it, you know, I mean, like, he's just slick, and, you know, that I'm looking forward to because they haven't had that first baseman in, in forever. Uh, and I think that, you know, that always kind of helps galvanize the infield. Um, you know, as we saw with Olerud, we saw with Minkiewicz, you know, they have a way of cinching. That, that type of first baseman really cinches the infield together. I think he has that ability in the field. As a hitter, I think he's more gap-to-gap, on um, base guy, um, you know, not what you would typically profile as, a, as an all-star first baseman. But I think it's enough. I think in concert with the glove, I actually think it's a nice full-time everyday player. Um, you know, the question is, are they going to get power from other positions? Hopefully they do. And, you know, he's completely sufficient. Nice personality, again, fun guy, big smile, you know, loves talking to the press, loves talking to the media. You know, again, another guy that kind of gets it. And I think these two kids, I think, are going to be, again, I think Ahmed, I think Rosario is an all-star. Uh, you know, potential MVP kind of a kind of a prospect. I think Dom is not, but I think Dom is going to be a guy we love. I think he's going to be a guy Mets fans like because he's, he's going to go out there, he's going to play, and he's going to put on a little bit of a show with the glove, and he's going to do what's necessary at the plate. I think we're going to really appreciate his uh, his approach. So I, I think they're both going to be really nice players. Yeah, I kind of I, mean, I totally agree with you on Ahmed Rosario, and I think it, it's funny you made the the old uh, connection there. I think since a maybe two, three seasons ago, I think I kind of put that on him as well and said, uh, he reminds me of Olru with maybe just a hair more potential for power. Um, just a hair more. Uh, just because yeah, you can see that. I mean, Olru tried Johnny to be a power end, hitter, it didn't work so well. It is, but when Johnny started to figure out 
you know, when he sort of figured out Chase Stadium there and, and, and got a little bit more confident with his eye, he was, he was pulling that ball a little bit. He, you know, it, it, was, it was more of a power hitter than you, than you thought he was going to be. Um, but I, I agree with you and Dom. I think Dom has more just from his size. I mean, he's a big dude, you know. So yeah. if he, with his eye and his size, if he can put that together in the right way, uh, as he gets older, when he gets into like his early 30s, if he's still hopefully with the Mets and he's still producing, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see all of a sudden his power jumps a little bit. And I think you know those two guys, especially with the numbers they'll put up and the and, and the and the type of offensive numbers we'd be looking at from them, you know, the, you know, we're a year and a half off of playing the Royals in the World Series, and those are the type of players they use to beat us. Absolutely, uh, and, and that's yep. you know, and that's that to me is the most exciting part is. These are the type of players I felt we should have had in our lineup to begin with, and now they're right. just coming naturally. And so that's well, Dom, that's yeah, and know, that's great. To that's me. the thing with Dom that I like. That again, it's been a long time, and this is what I liked about Conforto. It's just you know, left field is a little bit different. When you're a first baseman and you have that approach at the plate, it's just a nice, rock solid kind of a piece, right? It's not. He doesn't have right. to be an all star. He doesn't have to go out and, and, you know, hit 330 and be the best first baseman in the league. That's okay. You're not going to have that at every position. I think he's the kind of kid that, you know, he's a baseball – I hate to use this term. He's a baseball player in the sense, like, you know, in quotes, where, like, he knows the job. He knows the ins and outs. He's a sound, smart. You know, he's not going to do anything to hurt you. He's going to – you know, he's just that kind of player. And, and that – like you said, that's what the, that's what the Royals had in, in up and down the lineup and nickel and dime the mess to death. And, you know, to have that at first with, with, with you know, the homegrown player under contract for six years, that, that's a nice advantage. Well, I want to change gears here, and I want to talk a, a, quite a bit about Mets blog before we wrap up here. But before we get to that, you've recently added a new title in there, author. Talk about you've got a book coming up, and I definitely want to have yeah. you back on the show when it comes out and talk more in depth about it. But give kind of people a little bit of a, a preview of what uh, Matthew Cerrone's first book is going to be about. Besides the Mets, obviously. We know that much. Sure. Well, it's, uh, it's called the uh, New York Mets Fans Bucket List. It's everything you need to see, read, do, hear, know, et cetera, uh, about the Mets. Uh, written from my perspective, it's sort of all these, you know, 50 things that you sort of want to do or know, like I said, read, et cetera. Um, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to write uh, books over the years. I kind of passed on all of them because they just – I didn't want to tell a story. Um, I wasn't comfortable with that kind of writing. And, and this came along and it was more, you know, 1,000, 1,500 word, you know, 50 little essays, which is essentially what I do on the blog. But also it's stuff that I don't typically get to write about on Mets blog, which is like, you know, um, you know, about the 1986, you know, Mets video, the year to remember, or, you know, write about Gil Hodges or write about, you know, the food at City Field or, you know, whatever it might be. It's things, you know, because we're so day to day, minute to minute, news and rumor reaction on Mets blog very in the moment. Uh, this was sort of the ability in, in the, you know, to be able to write about the experience of being a fan and going to the games and memories of Shea stadium and all that stuff, but in sort of short essay form. And uh, I think it came out pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. David Wright did the forward. I asked him to do it. I never thought he would agree to do it because he doesn't really do anything like that. And he, he agreed and it was awesome. Um, so that's great, and you know it's available available for pre-sale on Amazon. You can buy it at matthewstrone.com/slash/metsbook um, to discount like ten bucks uh, for the pre-order. Um, so buy those up if, if you can, and, and it comes out June first. And I think people are going to like it. If you if you like Metsblog and you like my writing, it's very conversational. 
Um, you know, I kind of go in and out of stories, uh, you know, about talking with Bill Buckner and, you know, my way of talking about the 86, you know, game six is a conversation I had with him at MLB Network uh, last year on uh, a little lesson, kind of a life lesson that he taught me. Um, and so I kind of use a lot of little anecdotes and things that I've experienced uh, having the, the privilege of, of, of uh, you know, growing Metsblog to the way it was and being able to do what I do uh, and the people that I've interacted with um, to sort of tell tell these essays. And I, I think it works, and I'm looking forward to it. And I hope people really enjoy it. Again, it's MatthewStrone.com slash Metsbook if you want to pre-order. And I already have. I've got my order in. I'm looking forward to it as well. So uh, thank you so excited much. Excited to read it when it comes out, and uh, happy to support you as well with that because that's, that's just great. I, I'm really, really excited for you. Let's let's talk about Mets blog. Um, first, uh, first, I just I kind of wanted to ask a question. I just one of those I've been meaning to ask. I mean, we we all kind of popped online around the same time doing various different things, and. Uh, you know, back in the day when Mets blog would post a story, you know, we would run to our message board and discuss it and all those things. And now it's like, you know, it's they're, they're, they're tweets instead of message boards. Overall, yeah. from, from the point where Mets blog for you personally, what has been the thing that's changed the most in for you and how you go about huh. doing Mets blog because of the changing atmosphere with social media constantly evolving, the news cycles constantly evolving, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's it's always the same. It's a, it, I think what's changed or what hasn't changed in sort of to answer your question, which is what changes, is my ability to adjust and I think the, the site's ability to adjust. Um, you know, you want to, you know, when, when, when Twitter pops up or another blog pops up or, or the news site changes or the team is winning versus losing or they're in a financial scandal or they're not or they're rebuilding or they're not or they're in the World Series, or they're in last place, you know, whatever the variation is, the key is to be able to adjust with sort of where the demand is, you know, and I think that's the key. I'm a Mets fan. I think I sort of understand where, you know, what people want to consume and what they're interested in and what they need to know, what they want to know, because I want to know it. You know, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time in the clubhouse. I watch most of the games on television. I still have that experience, you know, and so I think it's just kind of being honest about what, I find interesting and, and writing about it and kind of keeping sort of in the trenches in a sense, I think it helps keep it grounded, but also being able to adjust to the, the, the flow, the news flow. So, you know, Twitter, for instance, as Twitter pops up and, you know, if I'm a fan, if I'm being honest with myself as a user of Twitter, one of the things that's very difficult is the chaos and the noise on Twitter. Right. So that would suggest that the adjustment, these, the, the, the need is uh, less noise. It's context. It's understanding where things are being the rock, right? So where Mets blog has kind of moved sort of into that position where now I kind of put it in a way that it's sort of like, okay, you go, you know, talk to your kid at night or go to your little league game that you got a coach or go to a meeting or you're on Twitter and you see all this. Stuff. You know, you can go to Mets blog and sort of check in in case you missed it. This is sort of, you know, this is what you missed. It's nice and wrapped with a bow on top little bit of opinion off you go you know and that's so that that's sort of in response to what has happened with twitter and, you know obviously that'll change in a couple of years something else will happen um and so it's sort of the, the constant yin and yang of, of what the, the public needs in terms of infrastructure and how they sort of consume information and what the uh what the need is and then also my my sort of understanding of, of what's interesting and what isn't and how those two things connect 
So last thing for me, talk a little bit about where Mets blog is headed and where you're headed personally and kind of how those two do and do not work together. Yeah. Well, I mean, they work, they work together. I, I'm, I, I started the site in 2003. I love it. I still write it every day. It's still, you know, I can't, I can't not write it, put it that way. Um, I stepped down from my role with SNY as their director of digital content and their executive editor. So I don't have any involvement in their uh, day-to-day business outside of Metsblog. That's really my only connection to SNY is, 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 is uh, Metsblog. <clears throat> um, you know, but I still do that and I, I will as long as, as I can and, and it's fun and I enjoy the hell out of it. Um, in addition to that, you know, I'm a content person. I love the audience. I'm a customer service person. That's what my background is in public relations and, and media relations. And so I'm trying to, you know, merge those things, really focus on what the internet is calling content marketing, sports content marketing, which is basically taking a business or a brand that sells product, but helping them sort of establish a content business uh, so that they can reach their audience or their customers with useful, interesting, compelling, consistent information, build an audience with those people and then, sell to them from there. Uh, I can't stand, you know, the, the modern sponsored post or the branded content as they call it, where it's just, you know, some kind of press release that bores the audience or it's a regular post with a logo on it that isn't satisfying to the client. I mean, either way, it's, it's not really sufficient. And so to me, it's a matter of the brand sort of owning their space and, and producing things that are interesting to the customer, to the, to the audience and, and owning that and, and using that as an opportunity to build a relationship and, and make sales. It's, it's not about likes and hours. It's about actually <clears throat> providing interesting information and being rewarded for it. And, and that's what I'm trying to help people do. That's what I think I've done with Metsblog. And, and so my goal outside of Metsblog is to do that for other businesses that, that are interested. Well, that's great. And if people want to get a hold of you about that, if that's something of interest to them, yeah, they can. Uh, it's MatthewStrone.com. You know, you can. I have consulting services. I'm starting to ramp content and information about what that all means. A newsletter that you could sign up for. It's got <clears throat> jobs listed occasionally. Things that I hear about. Just different opinions on the space and, and where things are going. I mean, really, if you're in marketing or you're in sports content or both, uh, you should you should go and sign up. Well, Matthew, man, I, I you know it's been. Well over a decade, I think that we've known each other, and I've I greatly enjoy our friendship and our chance to talk, <laughs> and definitely been far too long. We'll have to have you back on in June and talk in depth about the book because that's it's going to be great. And <laughs> I just appreciated our time together, and hope hope you've warmed up in between your snow shoveling. Yeah, I'm still sitting. In the, I got to go back out and finish it. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it, but I, I got to run. <laughs> um, uh, it's the worst. I, I, I got to get out of this uh, Connecticut area. It's brutal, man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I couldn't handle it. I could not handle it. I, I give you full credit. Well, I appreciate yeah. your time. We will definitely talk soon, and uh, uh, good luck with the, the spring training trip. We'll definitely be checking in on Mets blog while you're at, down there, and of course when you're not, but uh, looking forward yeah. to all the stories you pick up down there and the reporting you'll do from there. All right, James, thanks, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch up when the book uh, comes out in June. I appreciate all the, the love and support. Absolutely. Always happy. Right. And that, Thank of course, is our – Absolutely. Matthew Cerrone from Mets Blog joining us today. And, uh, of course, you know, Met Fan Bucket List coming out in June. Go Matthew um, MatthewCerrone.com and uh, check out the information there. Uh, get the pre-order at Amazon and get that discount. Uh, and it's going to be, a, you know, it's one of those books. I think it's just going to be a lot of fun and uh, something that, 
a great book, I think, uh, for families. I think, uh, um, you know, bringing the next generation of Met fans up, uh, doing some of these fun things. Because I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there'll be things in that book that I've already done, but that doesn't mean I don't want to do them again. So uh, certainly, uh, yeah, and it's always cool to share them with the next generation of Met fans. So I appreciate Matthew Cerrone for his time and uh, certainly appreciate um, – uh, each one of you for listening today. We're going to wrap things up a little early on the show today. Um, I don't need to tell you where to find Matt, Matt on net, but I'll tell you anyway. Metsblog.com. Of course, you can find him on Twitter at uh, Matthew Cerrone, and um, also Metsblog can be found at Metsblog. And uh, appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. We'll have another show next week for you. Uh, check out the Happy Recap uh, on Twitter. That's EJ running that account, and you find me at The Real Hoove. And uh, in between study breaks, you can find uh, Ryan at Big Country Griff. Until next week, when there's actual spring training gathering occurring of the pitchers and catchers variety, albeit it's just calisthenics and some long tosses, but it's closer than we've been since November. It's time for some baseball. Spring training is around the corner. Let's go Mets. <laughs> 